really like Judge Judy for lots of different reasons. Um, I, I like strong women to begin with, so Judge Judy is definitely one of those. Um, and I always, I like, a little bit of, I like a little bit of crazy conflict. And watching the way that she rules, she's like, you're behaving like an idiot. No, you don't get to do that. Like, she just calls it out, and she does it, um, maybe not so much gracefully, but she does it in a way that the people are always like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I totally did that, just the way that you said I did that, and now I need to uh, fix my actions or pay my bill or do whatever, and then she leads them out, and, and the next group comes in. Um, judge Judy is a, a, a fun judge. I'm not sure that we would want to compare ourselves to her. Um, we don't necessarily want to live our lives like that, but it's kind of fun to watch on TV. Stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We'll just wrap that up, because you are looking a little bit sleepy today. That's not good to start a sermon with sleepiness. Invited is our series that we're in right now, and today's sermon title is Cast the First Stone. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, starting um, with verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. And a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. The word of God for the people of God. There are so many good things about this passage. Um, I, I, it's, it's been such a neat series to write, this invited series, and going through all of the different invitations that Jesus um, invites people into. And so we talked last week about resting. And several of you have come to me throughout the week and been like, yeah, the Lord spoke to us through that. We have just been intentionally resting better. That's good. Rest in the Lord. That is an invitation that Jesus extends to you. But he also extends us the invitation, the same invitation, that he offered to those standing in the circle around the woman who was waiting to die. The words in meso are used in the book of John several times. There's a lot of interesting things about this story. One of them was that it wasn't added into scripture until much later. And they couldn't exactly figure out where to put it, and so they stuck it in this place in John. We're not exactly sure that John wrote this story, but in the end, we did decide that it belonged in scripture. I'm glad it did, because there's so many good things in it. But one of the contrasts that we find is this, this phrase, in meso, in meso, which means to be in the midst of. So in verse 3, it says, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. That, that phrase, they put her in front of the crowd, it's going to probably be better translated, they put her in the midst of the crowd. 
So if you can imagine this woman who had been caught in the act of doctory, she's brought out from the actual act into this circle of people where Jesus is sitting, because that's what rabbis did. They sat and they taught. So Jesus is sitting and he's teaching all of these people, this big crowd of people that are all around Jesus, listening to him. They bring in this naked and battered woman, throw her down in front of Jesus, and they put her right in the middle of the people. Now, throughout the book of John, Jesus is placed in the midst of crowds all the time. But this time, it's the sinful woman that's placed in the middle. And if we go back and look through John and see where this is translated, are you guys hanging on today? I feel like I'm preaching fast because I'm making sure I can keep your attention. Sometimes masks are a deterrent, and today it just seems like to be that masks are are battling against me. Um, (laughs) Jesus is in the midst Um, in a lot of different places in John. The first place that we see it is whenever John the Baptist is baptizing people and they're, you know, they're coming to John and they're going, oh yeah, you know, you're great, John. You're awesome, John. And, And John, right before he baptizes Jesus, he said, yeah, but in the midst of us is one that is so much greater than I. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. I'm not worthy to be his slave But then we skip ahead and we find this term in Meso, mainly at the end of the book of John, and it parallels really well with our story today. The next time that we see it is in chapter 19, where it says that Jesus was nailed to the cross and he was put in Meso, in the midst of two convicted thieves two convicted sinners. Jesus was in the midst of sinful people. First he's in a crowd of people becoming baptized. Now he's in a crowd and he's hung between two convicted felons. The next two times that we see it is Jesus is showing up in the midst as a surprise. I feel like I didn't want to talk about this one today because it's not Easter yet. And I, that battle goes on within me. Like, I don't want to talk about anything that happened to Easter yet because we're not there yet. Um, we're still in Lent. We're still in the waiting. We're still in the processing. So the next two times that it's talked about, first time Jesus shows up in the middle of the disciples um, uh, while they are grieving the loss of Christ. And the next one, it's when the doors are locked and Jesus shows up in the midst of them again. But now th- we find this woman, this sinner, this adulteress in the midst of a crowd with a Jesus who is usually in the middle of a lot of big things. The other thing is that sin is always going to be in meso, in the midst of us. But so will Jesus. Do you ever feel that way? It's the sin of the world is all around us. Even during this morning, we prayed and we were praying for our nation and and just some of the sin that's taking place, that's breaking us down, that's leading us away from God. And we think, man, we are in the midst of this sin and this struggle. And yet Jesus is always in the middle of it with us. He didn't have to be there. This story didn't have to take place. This woman's, this woman's story could have been totally different, but Jesus was in the midst. And when Jesus is in Meso, miraculous things happen. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, um, we read this. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. That's bad news for Judge Judy. I just had to see if you were awake. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured against you. So why do you look? I love this passage. Like, I love to think about the analogy of it. Why do you look at this speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Like, I'd, like Chad would go, hey, I've got an eyelash. Can you help me find? Like, why am I looking at the speck of sawdust? He's my husband, by the way, for people that didn't know that and thought that was really weird. Um, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, paying no attention to the plank, the log, the tree sticking out of your own face? New Revised Rachel Version. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when, the, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank, the log out of your own eye, and then you're going to be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Mm, the word of God for the people of God. Man, I, I just think about this idea, like, we are so quick to judge other people. This group of Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were on it. They could not wait to see this woman condemned. And even more than that, they wanted to trap Jesus. They knew the law. They twisted it so that they could sit this woman in front of Jesus and get Jesus trapped so that they could condemn him to death. It wasn't necessarily about her death that they were concerned about. They didn't care about this woman at all. They cared about destroying the one and only true and right judge that was on the earth at the time, Jesus Christ himself. They, they had logs, trees sticking out of their own faces, but they were walking around trying to pick specks out of other people's eyes. Jesus is writing in the dirt. And when he does it, it's completely ignored. It's being glossed over. It's really mysterious. Um, but I just have to wonder what he wrote. You guys have heard that a thousand times. Anytime you've heard this story, everybody goes, I wonder what he wrote. There's a long-standing historical understanding that Jesus was writing all of the sins of the people who were standing around. I don't know what Jesus wrote in the dirt, but you do. You know what he wrote. You know what he's writing today. Because you stand in that crowd all around other people, casting your judgments on everybody else, trying to make decisions about how they should live their lives and how they would be better at X, Y, or Z, how they could be closer to God. But there Jesus is right in front of you while you're not even paying attention, and he's writing in the dirt everything that you need to know about how your judgments can be transformed into the judgments of Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah, he's writing about you in the dirt today, and you know what those writings are. You read them. Because I know whenever he tells me to be, what does he tell us? To be slow to speak and quick to listen. These guys were so busy talking so fast, they were trying to condemn so quickly, and yet Jesus is taking moments of pause down in the dirt, and they're going, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, can we kill her yet? Will you get up out of the dirt? Will you quit focusing on my problems and start focusing on hers? Will you quit focusing on my judgments and focus on judging hers? And when Jesus is in the midst, when he's writing in the dirt of our lives, our log becomes overwhelmingly obvious. Right? It should. 
If we're in relationship with Jesus, then any time we get into a situation where we start picking at people's sawdust, we start trying to, trying to get the glitter. Man, has anybody ever tried to get glitter off everything? Mmm, that stuff is death. I mean, we start trying to pick that out of somebody else's eye, but we spend time in the presence of Jesus, and all of a sudden, this forest of trees growing out of our eye, we begin to see, and it becomes overwhelming for us. Our lives have to be transformed if we are going to be in a place where we can help transform the lives of others. We have to face our own situation, our own guilt, our own judgments, our own struggles, if we are going to even begin to be a part of helping someone else heal. There's an interesting story. Um, it, it, it actually is, um, it, it's called the story of Susanna. And um, it's a story that you have never read in the book of Daniel because it didn't end up in our Bibles. But it was in the Septuagint version of Daniel, and there's this story of two elders in the church, two religious leaders, two people that were supposed to have their act together, but there was this woman, Susanna, who was in their church, and she was beautiful, and she was lovely, and she was married to another man, which they didn't find was fair, and so these two men fought over her, and whenever she was not willing to leave her husband for these two men, when she wasn't willing to enter into the act of adultery, she was accused by both of them of being an adulteress, even though she wasn't. She, she began to, the, in the story, there's talk to her maids, and, and she talks about the choices that she has made to try to be this woman of holiness. But then there also is a discussion, a very powerful discussion, that she pleads for vindication with God himself. And in the story, God rises up a righteous judge named Daniel. And Daniel is coming before them, and the two men are, are talking, but he goes to God for the answers. There's no questions that he asks of her. We don't see that anywhere in the story. He goes to God, and God says that she is innocent, and he is able to go back and be this voice of innocence in her life. It's beautiful, and it's healing, and it's a reminder that in the midst of our judgments, and whenever we are struggling with understanding what's going on in someone else's life, it is in those moments that we should be going to God. Mm, we really like talking to other people, don't we? Let's be honest. I am a verbal processor. Um, I live in an office of verbal processors. You will find us all sitting in Karen's office on a regular basis, verbally processing through all of the things that we have going on at the moment. We do that. And those things are okay. When it becomes not okay is whenever we start to verbally use our words to attack other human beings. Right after this passage of scripture, the one in John chapter 8 where we started today, we're going we're gonna to continue on just a little bit because there's this important part in John chapter 8 when we start at verse 12. And Jesus starts out saying that he spoke to the people once more. Now this is right after this entire episode has happened. He said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now hold there. Everybody likes that verse, right? We're like, oh yeah, woohoo, Jesus is the light. I want to be in the light.
light as Jesus in the light, Newsboys 1996. Like, we all want that. We want to be in the light as Jesus in the light. Jesus is the light. This is great. This is good. But Jesus continues to go on. Now, the Pharisees hear Jesus say this, and they go, <clears throat> you are making these claims about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. You can't say this stuff. And Jesus reminds them, he says, you judge me, in verse 15, you judge me by human standards, but I don't judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect, because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is acceptable as fact. I am one witness. My Father, the one who sent me, is the other. Where is your Father, they asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Now, Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. Verse 15, you judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Man, if Jesus wasn't sent to judge, how much more are we called to abstain from that? But as I read this story, as I go throughout it, I, I really am kind of shocked by all of the things that are lacking in it. First, if we were really going to follow through with what the law said in the Old Testament, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, it's mentioned that you can stone people for adultery. That's fantastic. Thanks, Old Testament. And, uh, but this is what it says. It says, the man and the woman. Where's the dude? Like, how is he not in this story? Like, what they were like, oh, okay, you just go home. We're going to take the woman and stone her. Hmm. I don't like that part. That's missing in here. There's also lots of pieces of history that are missing. Like, where is this woman from? Does he have children? What does her husband think? Where is her husband? And then Jesus, now we're going to go back to human standards for a while because we like stories like this, right? We like them because we put ourselves in the shoes of the woman who was the adulteress. We put ourselves in the shoes of the sinner and we go, yes. We love the fact, we love to know that Jesus is telling everybody else, keep your stones to yourself and leave them alone. That's right, let my sin be between me and Jesus. But the problem with this story is, I stand on the other side and Jesus declares, neither do I condemn you. And I ask, why not? Why doesn't she get to be condemned? Why don't they get to throw rocks at her? Let's be honest. She's probably destroyed her family situation. She's made a mess of things. She's opted into sinful behavior that is destructive to everyone around her. Why don't we get to cast stones? And why does Jesus not condemn her? Oh, church, I want you to think real hard about that. Those moments in your life I have heard it more than once, more than a thousand times if I've heard it once. God could never forgive me of this. I've done too many things. 
I'm too broken. I've sinned too many times. This thing that I've done, God can never forgive me of that. He can never cleanse it. He can never, and Jesus says these words over and over and over again. Just as the invitation to cast the first stone, he gives us an invitation to come to him. To come to him and to declare our sin so that God can say to us, neither do I condemn you. Jesus is really offensive. We forget that because we like all the lovey parts of Jesus. Oh, I love it when Jesus tells me he's going to give me grace and peace and love and harmony and rainbows and Skittles. I like all the things about Jesus that make me feel good. But we forget that Jesus isn't just forgiving your sin. He's forgiving everybody's. And as a foster parent, I go, that's offensive. Do you know what they did? Do you know what has happened behind closed doors? Do you see my hurt, Jesus? How can you forgive them? And Jesus doesn't just tell us that he doesn't condemn them. He says that we are to bless them. Are you offended yet, church? That we are to bless them. Part of the problem is we can't understand it because we can't get past our own judgments to see into the very heart of the God who created you. I created my children. I'm pretty proud of it. I mean, at least three of them. And, um, and uh, they are, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty fantastic sometimes. And I really enjoy being their mother. But there is nothing in this world that I would not do to bring them back. If they are struggling, if they are sinning, if they are disheartened, if they have walked away, if they have done something horrific, there is nothing in the world that I wouldn't do to bring them back to Jesus. And as parents, we go, yeah, we get that, right? And some of you have been put in positions like that, and it's extremely difficult to face. It is heart-wrenching and heartbreaking, and it is for God as well. But his calling to all of us is to redemption, to wholeness. We have to remember God, Christ, the Holy Spirit. They were there in the very beginning. When the Ruha, the Spirit of God, was breathed into human life for the very first time, and it rose up as the child of God, the creation of God. And even when those children sinned, God said, I will continue to work, and I will continue to work, and I will continue to work, so that all lives can be brought back into redeeming grace through Jesus Christ. And that's what it took, death on a cross. The death of his very own son is what it took. That is the very heart and nature of God. He died so that you might live. He died so that the condemnation of others can be erased, so that they too can be made whole, so that you can be made whole. So that you can be made whole. And I think now, about the beauty of God being in our midst. How he sent his very one and only Holy Spirit to not just live in meso, in a group, in the midst of people, but to live inside of our hearts and our lives. 
The Holy Spirit has been sent so that he might speak to us. He might move in us. When we are sitting at the very feet of Jesus, the rabbi, when we are being taught, we start to begin to see through the lens of God. What Jesus is writing in the dirt about us causes us to drop our stones and walk away. We don't become the first to cast. We never do because we know we've lived in that sin. We've lived in the struggle. We've lived in a place of unforgiveness, of heart-wrenching loss and devastation. And yet God gifted us with the most beautiful thing. He himself is able to live inside of us and through us, through the Holy Spirit who guides us, and his still, small voice leads us. Leads us to places of redemption, of life, forgiveness of God is granted to us and therefore the forgiveness of God is extended through us it'd be really easy for you to stay in your chairs it'd be really easy for you to sit in your seat today as Dave comes and he's going to He's going to sing a song for us, and I really hope that the words will etch in your heart and in your life. And I, you need Christ. Showing up on a Sunday morning is not good enough. You are never going to get enough from me or from a worship team, from a guitar player. None of that is ever going to suffice for you. It is only through the forgiveness of God that you are going to find. It is only through his grace and mercy that you are going to find transformation, that your judgments and your guards are going to be let down, that wholeness is going to be made in your families and in your marriage and in your lives. That is it. It's the only place you're going to find it. And so you can be stubborn today. You can. I can't make you not be stubborn. You can sit in your chairs today and you can be comfortable and you can think about the things that were said and you could say, they affect me, but I'm not going to let them. I've already built up walls. They're too, they're too high, Rachel. My sin is too deep. My struggle is too much. And you just don't know. I don't have to know. Jesus does, and he says, I don't condemn you. Now be transformed. Go and sin no more. So as Dave is singing this morning, I'm going to ask you to come. And there's altars, there's a floor here. You can come and sit on it. But I just ask that you don't, please, please don't leave this place today filled with sin and condemnation. Don't leave this place today broken and unhealed. Don't do it. Don't do it. God doesn't want that for you. He wants freedom. He wants life. He wants grace. That is what he wants. Oh, church, this is your chance. This moment is the time. Today is the day of your salvation. I'd like to invite the worship team up. We're going to close with the song today, Come All Who Are Thirsty. Just a reminder that throughout this week, we have the opportunity to continue to come. 
Come all who are thirsty. All who are weak. Come and sit at the table. Let us stand today as we sing. Oh, Heavenly Father, today we continue to just invite you into our lives and into our hearts, into our minds and into our situations. God, we invite you today. May you lead us in your name. May you guide us to your glory. May we leave here changed people because we encountered the judge Jesus who does not condemn us but sets us free from condemnation. Amen. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not die, but instead shall have eternal life. As you go from this place today, may you, O church of God, truly live. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for Zach today, for his life and for his heart that is just bent towards your compassion. I pray that you'll guide him this week, that you will lead him on a path of love and forgiveness and finding you in unique places. I praise you for him and his life today, and we give you all of the praise. Amen. You guys are coming to our house. We're having pizza. Nothing tasty. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, just in case. <laughs>